On episode 34 of the podcast, we talk with Tom Davidson and Gwen Titley of the Beaver County Times Oral History Project, Veterans of Beaver Valley. One night, I got the big idea. If you was an aerial gunner, all you had to do was fly 50 missions, and then you'd go home. And if I stayed on the ground, I wasn't going to go home until the war was over. So it sounded like a pretty good deal. I must have had a garden angel because a mortar shell landed right in the hole where I, I would have been digging thing, with though, They're being shot at, and the response to me was, don't worry about them. We are also being shot at. You couldn't at. get by that barbed wire in the, on the shores there in the water. You'd have to jump, get out and go through the water and, and, and walk up to the beach. That's where we lost a lot of Marines. When World War II began, Beaver Falls native Elda Lamia joined the Navy as part of the Women's Reserve. Everybody else was joining, so I followed. Alaquipa native Pete Maravich joined the Marine Corps in 1942 when he was 17 years old. Of course, my mom and dad had to sign. They were reluctant, but I had a good recruiter, and he talked them into it. 87-year-old Aliquippa native Louis Villa comes from a family of veterans, including his father and uncles, who joined the Italian army to fight in World War I. I uh, found out who uh, captured my father. It was a guy by the name of General Rommel in the German army. In 1949, Aliquippa native Charles Gilbert was 19 years old. Well, I couldn't get no job in the mill, so me and one of my buddies, we uh, volunteered to go into service together. Michelle Wilcox graduated from New Brighton High School in 1969. Four years later, after visiting a friend in college, she enlisted the Navy in 1973. So I think I was the second oldest person in my boot camp company. We were in there with a bunch of 18-year-olds. It was very interesting. These are the men and women of Beaver Valley, the bravest of the brave. They fought fearlessly for their country, their city, their community, and for the ideals we share as Americans. They served proudly in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the Gulf War, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Here and now are their stories, their own experiences in their own words, the words of the heroes of Beaver Valley. Welcome Tom Davidson and Gwen Titley to our podcast. You guys are involved in a very special veterans recording project called Veterans of Beaver Valley. Tell us about that. How you guys got involved, why the interest in veterans throughout Beaver Valley, and how this uh, just got started and then got rolling because you guys have a significant body of interviews that are on your website and in that were published in the paper, right? Yeah. Well, what happened is in uh in 2015, in the late summer, early fall, the moving wall came to Beaver, and that kind of spurred renewed interest in, in starting another project. The, you know, the, the Times has done various veterans projects before, but that kind of was the catalyst for our, uh, our then city editor. Now he's our managing editor, Patrick O'Shea, came to, came to me and said, you know, look, this is our chance to do something special for the veterans and to preserve their stories. So we, uh, we started thinking about that and uh, keeping that in mind in our coverage of the moving wall and just in talking to the veterans who, who visited the wall while it was in Beaver and that you know, there were veterans of all branches of service and all eras of war there. So, uh, so I kind of put out feelers then 
And we were initially going to call the series Tearing Down the Walls of War. And that was the, the initial impetus. And it, it kind of evolved into Veterans of Beaver Valley. And, uh, but we kind of did a test episode, for lack of a better term, uh, using uh, a Chippewa Township resident, Tony Corbar, who, uh, who was a Vietnam veteran. And he had a, a really interesting story. And he, he also he, he made a return trip around a decade ago, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, to Vietnam. So, so, so he had an interesting story to share. And really, it was, it, it was at his house. He had a uh, kind of a, a shrine. He called it his wow wall. On his wow wall, he has a quote that says, uh, a lot of who we are is where we've been. That really kind of resonated with me about why we're doing this, you know, to preserve the stories of yesterday and to, you know, to, to preserve that bits of history that that live in each of us and tony kind of exemplified that and after we did that initial story and video interview we we went back and we really really fine-tuned what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it and you know gwen put a lot of work into into that and we we, we actually spent several months kind of getting our game plan in in shape and i visited various veterans groups handed out my card to countless organizations and just put it out there that look here's what we're trying to do so this is not something that you just said hey grab a camera no let's go out here's a guy who wants to talk to us you put some thought into this yeah i was gonna say yeah yeah this started in september 2015 we ran tony's story tony corbar and on september 21st of 2014 and from that time we didn't actually do our next one until january of 2015 and that's where the initial veteran of Beaver Valley kind of launched. Our paper has kind of been on a digital push. So providing video and visual complements to the written story has become very important for our paper. So that's kind of how video became a component of the storytelling. We first did Tony's story and then over those from September to January, we were kind of flushing out what style we wanted, what kind of tone we wanted it to be, because we were seeing these as profiles and snippets of men and women in the community who served, you know, for their country and for us, and they're not really recognized. Tom was out trying to, you know, get people to talk to us, so in a way we could document and keep their story, you know, preserved for future listeners. And then also, I think it's a subtle way of saying thank you and kind of just recognizing, you know, putting their picture on the, in the front page of the paper and on our online page, just like this is what this person did for us. Now, Gwen, you bring to the project your video expertise. Yes. So I, I learned pretty quickly that especially with the older gentlemen, that two cameras is really helpful. Two cameras at different angles, one close, one tight. That way, if, you know, they have a gap in their memory, I can kind of easily cut it and make it like a, a fluent little video piece. So I quickly started using two video cameras. And then there was also the challenge of how to provide visuals for something that already happened, you know, in some cases, seven years ago. So I really found a resource in the National Archives. I go in and I type in keywords, you know, Philippines, World War II, New Guinea, World War II, South Pacific, you know, all that stuff. And 
I see what comes up. Sometimes it's old photos or old videos. And I'm careful about, you know, they have listed their use restrictions, whether it's unrestricted use, may have some copyrights on it. I'm pretty careful about what I use just because it's on our newspaper's platform that will be presented. So um, it's really been interesting to view all these archive videos of previous wars that we've, our country's been involved in. What I love about your project, and, and I, this is what you're talking about, you bring in the B-roll stuff, as they say in the business. The, so a veteran was uh, in the Philippines. You bring in footage around the Philippines, stuff you can find in the archives. That really makes the whole viewing experience interesting, cinematic, and uh, informative. Right, yeah. I think it's very helpful if you can show people what things look like then rather than kind of leaving it to an imagination that may not necessarily have proper background about the area or the time period. Sometimes it's really hard to find video pertaining to specific areas and events. So in those cases, I kind of try to get something that's close. The man we're doing a story on now was part of the Army Medics. And there's not specific video of where he was, but there's plenty of video about the medics who are in the Army. So I kind of use those videos and put little titles on the videos about what it is and where it came from, just so viewers know, you know, what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. How do veterans respond when you, these cameras come out, these video cameras? Yeah, <laughs> I, we sometimes they're just like, oh, what's all this for? You know, the, the man we're profiling right now, he's asking Tom, he's like, what is all this stuff, you know? <laughs> And we're like, no, it'll be okay. Like, we swear. <laughs> like, okay. It doesn't hurt. It's painless. <laughs> I always say it's painless. Yeah. yeah and Tom, others. Tom really, like, he eases them into it while I'm just, like, frantically setting up tripods and trying not to, like, take too much time. And But some of them are surprised that we're putting this much effort into their story and making a good product. You know, a lot of them are just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, especially when you put you put like a little lav mic on them. They're like, you know, what's this for? You know, they're kind of like leaning back as you're putting it on, you know, and you're just like, just pretend it's not there. Talk to Tom. None of the cameras are here. Don't pay attention to us. Just go, just go with it. And do they ease into it? Do they get comfortable with they all this stuff? They seem to. Yeah, you know, they seem to. That's what, you no, know, I spend a, a good portion of the, the first part of our, you know, of our interview just kind of making small talk. And I'll actually get there early. To warn them, <laughs> to warn that them. there's going to be a spectacle that that Gwen's going to be coming in with two tripods, and we're also going to have a still photographer. We've learned just for for audio purposes to have the you know, our still photographer come in basically at the end of the interview. So the photographer taking the pictures will actually work after we've almost completed everything. But they're very impressed by having three people. I know that uh, one of the veterans we profiled a few months ago, Lou Villa. He was a, a Korean War veteran and a POW, and I, I was just dropping him off a couple extra DVDs of his story. And he is still, almost five months later, he is still talking about his experience that day and how, how wonderful it was and how impressed he was. He got a two-page spread in the paper, and his story was, was great because he had also written almost 100 pages of a kind of like a memoir that was just amazing. So we were able to excerpt from that as well. And it really is a big deal. We've come to realize that 
for those telling the stories, you know, it's uh, cathartic. It is uh, it, it's a chance for them to relive memories, it makes them feel good, right? Often vets will say to us, you know, I haven't told that story in years, or I hadn't thought about those things in many years, or I finally feel ready to tell these things, and I'm glad I have a chance to tell these now, you know, d- despite all the cameras and, the you know, the photography that's going on that can be a bit distracting. But, you know, they, they, do loosen, they do loosen up. Now, when you do your interviews, do you invite their families to sit in or anybody else to sort of sit in as an audience? Yeah, well, yeah, we, we don't discourage it at all. And we've certainly done it with the spouses present and or family members. We generally do like to do the interviews in their own home where they're comfortable. I, I let Gwen uh, use her expertise on you know, where we should set up. But generally, we, we we try to be as accommodating as possible where, where, wherever they're comfortable. Well, I have to say, I mean, your video work is just wonderful. The still photography is wonderful. The write-up is wonderful. I think you guys do a, a real class act in all three of those media. And I think, well, you tell me, what is the public's reaction? We get great feedback. Generally, after after every episode and, and or story, you know, I'll, I'll have two or three voicemails and it'll kind of kindle people to tell me, oh, my, my uncle served. You should tell his story. And the veterans themselves are just overjoyed. I think the families really appreciate it as well. Just to see their grandfather or their father kind of memorialized in this way, in a way that, you know, is not going to be quick to disappear if ever. So we get a lot of good feedback from families and we get a lot of requests for copies of, of the video, which we, we give to the, the subjects and their families for free. So what do you do with all this material, this content? I mean, beyond the published version. Well, the, the videos, the raw video, the raw interviews, they go into hard drives that are located in our small little IT room. So we have two 16 terabyte hard drives that stores all of our video stuff and they're mirrored so they're copies of each other so if one should die there's it still exists but everything that i do whether it's veterans or something else is put on two hard drives so therefore i guess it's available if it ever needs to be pulled up again and then the final and completed videos are stored on a cloud storage system that's provided by our company so those are easily obtainable you know, we've talked about doing other things, and we, you know, we're just still in the kind of the talking stages of things, especially now we, we, we realized, uh, actually through this podcast, we kind of realized that we've done 26 of them now. That's amazing. And given that, it, it's kind of like we've, we've done enough to where we, we have enough footage to, to basically make a feature-length film. Oh, I look and, forward to that. Okay. And we've, yeah. and we've talked about that, but it, it's really just talk. Right now, but at the same point, it is something, especially as we make the push toward more video and we see the opportunities that it gives and, and how we can provide now a larger story as well, especially you know, we've, you know we've interviewed about a dozen World War II veterans and just hearing all of their stories back to back would be interesting. You now we have the you know, guys from the South who fought in the South Pacific and guys who, who were in Europe and guys who served at the tail end of the war more in the occupation of Japan. So we've, we've covered all aspects you know, of World War II and, and we're getting there for Korea and, and Vietnam as well. That's an element to all this that I think a lot of people who get into recording these stories, you know, they may or may not think about this, but once you have a collection, that collection starts to live by itself. 
right? It, after you curate it, you put keywords in there and da, 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 and people can search that stuff out. And then people, you know, five years from now are contacting you about an interview that you did 10 years ago. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is dynamic. It's not just static. Yeah. It's just not on a server somewhere in a shoebox where too much of this really ends up. But yeah, it, it, it starts to live and breathe. Yeah. And then you realize, you realize how important it is to curate and to make accessible, you know, this stuff. It lives beyond Beaver County as well because yes. it is on the on the web. Totally, and I've gotten calls from from people who served in the same units as some of the guys that we've profiled, you know, asking me for more information. Oftentimes, we'll be interviewing a veteran, and he'll he'll remember his buddy, and he'll know his name and everything, and they they've lost touch. And it would just be be really cool if we could one day help them reunite. Somebody here did the story in the paper a couple of years ago. Robert Rose, um, Chippewa, no, Rochester, mentions his buddy who saved his life. Well, his buddy's grandson saw the interview on a website, contacted me, boom, 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 got him connected. They hadn't spoken since 1946. Wow. And there was a, a story that was done in the Times about that. But yeah, so that's how that works. I mean... Oh, it's, it's really cool that, yeah, that, that people are paying attention and that, and that there is that potential. I guess one of the things about this project that uh, I don't necessarily regret, but I, uh, I wish wasn't the case, is the, the, the veterans themselves, especially the World War II era veterans, aren't necessarily computer savvy or computer literate. Many of them don't even know how to operate a DVD player. So I've actually spent several times where I've gone over and they'll, they'll have a computer and I'll show them our website, I'll show them their story. You know, I, I try to make every effort to do that. I, I give them extra copies of the paper. If I'm contacted via email or phone call, it's, you know, I'll do everything possible to, uh, to accommodate somebody. I want to come back to something that you mentioned, Tom, about the interface with the public. And I want to get your thoughts on where you guys are going with the technology, the presentation of these things. Now, we do podcasts, we're doing live streaming, you know, the public is going to be there eventually, especially the younger generation. So where do you see your project going technologically? More video online, more things that are on the mobile devices? Are you thinking about the future generations that oh, yeah. will want? We're, we're continually, uh, you know, trying to improve that way. Gwen can actually probably speak a little bit better of that. But yeah, we, even beyond the, the Veterans Project, you know, we do a, a daily video news story. At least, at least one a day. Then we have we have several other series that you know, that we're working on. That you know, so we're continually looking toward that and looking toward how we can view those things on a mobile device and how people are accessing us. Gwen, are you going to be live streaming stuff soon? Oh gosh, no! I get too nervous for that stuff. But we do have a great digital team here who is constantly trying to adapt our content to what is considered modern and, and, you know, what younger people do use. So we convert our site to like a flex code. So that means our website won't look goofy on a mobile device. And, and we do know that um, smartphones and mobile devices are a huge way that people consume news. So we're set up to provide that for them in that manner. We're pretty well-equipped staff-wise to kind of confront any new technological demands. A lot of the time, it's stuff we may not have covered in school, but it's something we will look up and learn and 
keep trying to push our content into the hands of audiences. What are some of your favorite stories? I, I mentioned him before, but Lou Villa is still still one that uh, is just he, he it's remarkable. He was a, a prisoner of war in Korea, and he he also just has this this wonderful demeanor. Just a couple of days ago, when I when I visited him, I was at his house for a half hour, and it seemed like five minutes. <laughs> and and he's just still so appreciative, but then he also just has so many stories, and it's and it's just uh, what he was through is so harrowing that he came out of it with this great positive outlook, and that he's still alive at I think he's eighty nine. It's just amazing. Yeah, despite what he's been through. He still has this wonderful outlook on life. He's a complete sweetheart. He's a charmer. Sally and I were there, and, you know, he was just so sweet to the ladies. You know, he still had that kick to him. He still had this spark to his personality and to his life. And um, having someone like that tell you the story of his time in a prisoner of war camp and adding those theatrics to it brought it into reality. And Lou was one of my favorites too. And I think that uh, I was telling Tom that Carl Walpusk is probably one of my all-time favorites because his story is so amazing. He got shot down over Nazi-occupied Yugoslavia and he just told us how these people hid him and hid all the airmen. You know, the Nazis came in and they were looking for him and they were hidden. And then the OSS came in and they built a small little cruddy runway and they got everybody out and I it was just an amazing story and something like I can't even imagine living through and not having a panic attack about because he's he's talking about he fell from the airplane and he said he's like we parachuted out of the the airplane that was shot down and I'm floating there with you know my parachute and I just see this German plane just coming right at me and he could have turned on his guns he could have killed me but he tipped his wings and went the other way. And then after that, he was just saying, he was like, it was really beautiful. And I was like, wow, in that moment of complete horror, he took the time to realize, oh, this is a view people don't see that often, you know? And uh, he just went off from there and it was a really, really exciting and horrifying story. Really hard to believe that someone lived through it. And then, one of my other favorites was Brandy Horchak, not just because she was a, a woman. She was one of the first females that we've talked to, but she was involved in enduring freedom and activities in Iraq and stuff. And man, she was, she was great. I mean, a lot of what she gave to the military. And then when she came back, she had to deal with PTSD. She and her husband formed this boxing club and found an outlet for that PTSD and found a way to fight back against it and kind of really tried to start healing themselves and other members of the community who were affected by their war experiences. It's cool that they're helping others through that too. It's good that we've realized you know, the effects of PTSD and when and it, it, it kind of uh, just makes me really appreciate the previous generations that went to war even more because they weren't afforded those opportunities or that treatment nobody thought no no they used to call it just being shell-shocked <laughs> several of the the world war ii veterans i know that they had to go through ptsd and it just wasn't enunciated it wasn't uh it wasn't acknowledged but they still have it when you see that veteran you know reliving 
the experience before you. And when they talk about losing a, a friend in the heat of battle, and their eyes well up with tears, even now, it's incredibly moving. Uh, you, you had mentioned before also Alex Yawer from Moon. He's the guy who, who paints portraits of, of veterans, and he's just great. We interviewed him in his basement studio. It was awesome because he had a, you know, he had a painting on uh, on the easel, and he he just was sharp as could be, and and told his story. And it, he was he was also just. We haven't interviewed a, had a bad interview, even though. Well, let me ask you, what would a bad interview be? One of the things I have to convince some of our potential subjects, is, you know, because many times, uh, you know, our most recent one, uh, Stephen Crano, who will will publish on Tuesday, he's kind of like I. I really didn't do much. And there's that attitude that many veterans have to where it's just like, you know, I just, I was drafted, I did what they told me to do, and I came home. And I really try to convince them to share that story, regardless of what it was. And it sounds like you're doing a good job with that. I mean, with the 26 that you have and more, certainly on your schedule, you're mm-hmm. doing a great job of convincing people. Let me ask you this. For those people in our community who have a grandparent or uncle, brother, cousin, for those people who want to capture those stories just like you are, what advice would you give people who want to do this? I mean, how to approach the veteran, how to convince them, as you're saying, yeah. you know, because a lot of veterans are, hey, I just did my job and I'm nothing special. I don't have any medals. But what advice would you give? Convince people to get a camera, to get an audio recorder. Let's talk about that for a bit. I would say the you know the camera audio recorder even I mean for lack of a better term for amateur purposes even a, a smartphone will work. So oh, it certainly will. So I was listening to StoryCorps podcast this morning and you know they have a big program and it's all an app on smartphones and amazing, amazing, amazing stories that they've captured and just with that little handheld technology. Yeah, so it can be done really with minor investment and I think that uh, the key is you know for convincing. The veteran to participate and you, you know you had said earlier set a day now that kind of goes without saying but yeah set, set a specific day and a time and uh kind of just go to a quiet place and and what i do I, I do very little as far as interviewing like i'm i don't really talk a whole lot during the interview i pretty much you know i will warm up to the veteran at first i always do get there early but then you know once we put the mic on them and that, you know, I, I basically, now tell us your story. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? And really just using very little direction to them. You know, g- generally, they'll start off, well, you know, I, I was drafted or I enlisted in, in 1942. And the memories start coming. And even if they get sidetracked and such, I, I just kind of let them go. You know, let kind of the stream of conscious go where they take it. And many times we'll we'll come back around, you know, if we have specific questions about about a specific battle or specific name of a town. But I've also learned that uh, appreciate the value of silence. If you know, if they do go quiet, don't immediately speak up to fill the air. Just let that silence hang, and then oftentimes at that point they'll remember something that's astounding. I think with silence, too, people who aren't in our profession feel kind of awkward about it. So they kind of rush to fill that silence. So I think we use it to our benefit that these men and women are just kind of like, 
okay, and then there was this, you know, like just to kind of fill that gap and hope that when they stop, we'll ask another question. So Tom does a really good job in kind of like letting them just fill in the rest. With like the more sensitive matter, Tom usually says like, you know, were there any times where you feared for your life or were there any times where you were scared? And some of them will give kind of like the basic surface details and then you just kind of let them get used to the idea and then they kind of give a little bit more. So it's always very interesting to hear those kind of stories. Yeah, in that process of remembering, pulling those narratives out, those details get flushed out. Things that veterans often hadn't thought about for years, as I mentioned earlier. And you have to provide that space. You know, you have to provide that silence for a pause, for thinking. Sometimes I will ask the question, are there any things that you don't want to talk about? With the caveat, we don't have to talk about them. But I'm just curious if there are things in your head that are too painful for you to discuss. And I often get very frank answers. Absolutely. Yes. There was this time, this happened, but I don't go there. And I think that is as valuable as anything else. It says more. It says more. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, people will do with that what they will. But just to have that out there, we know that that person has gone through something that we should be respectful of. Yeah. I think we had a Korean war vet who was just like, I'm not even going anywhere near that. And so you're kind of thinking, okay, like we got the basics of what he did, where he was, and, you know, he's not telling us these stories. And that's okay. That's okay because it's the kind of absence and the, the mere reference to it kind of shows you how horrible parts yeah. of that war were for the people who witnessed it. I think that was William Miracle's story. And he had several times. And I, when, I, when I wrote the text of the story, I actually led with many of his stories will remain untold. And that actually just even, you know, like we had said before, it says so much, you know, the horror of war in general. It doesn't matter which war it was that, uh, you know, these are, you know, what wars are, are people trying to kill one another. And that's what it is at a base level. And, you know, the, these guys now, you know, we, when we go and interview them, they're older, most of them. I mean, aside from the, the, the handful of recent veterans that we've done, these are, these are people 70, 80, 90 years old, more than 90. And, and so you think of veterans in that way, you think of the veterans marching in the parade, you know, old gray-haired men, but when they were fighting, they were 17, 18, 19 years old. So they were kids, and you have a lot of you know, a lot of guys who, you know, really grew up fast in horrific conditions and went through horrible things, you know, with each other. Well, we certainly hope that many of these stories will not remain untold, thanks to your efforts here at Beaver County Times and the Veterans of Beaver Valley series, which I commend you for that. You guys are doing a terrific job. We at Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh are big fans, and we think that you are contributing greatly, not only to the history of Beaver County, but to the wider history of the veteran experience in our country. So thank you both for sharing a bit of the backstory here about your series, some of the sausage making that goes on there. I happen to love all the stories about the camera work and all that sort of stuff, and I think our public here will too, uh, so they will appreciate that as well. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for letting us tell you about it. I'm Kevin Farkas. 
Thank you for joining us. And remember, every veteran has a story to tell, and we are listening. See you next time on Veteran Voices, the Oral History Podcast. Thank you.